Romans 12, 1 through 8. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given me, I say to you, or to say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to your faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Will you pray with me? Lord, here we are in a word that really we need to ring true. As you continue to grow your church, as you continue to be magnified as we open your word, we would plead with you today that we have a better grasp, a greater, a greater love of body life in the church. There's something here for every one of us to hear to grow in, to be convicted in. Lord, make us, I pray, people who are able to hear you, follow you, love you deeply. Forgive us our sins. Draw us near. Save souls. Bring about repentance. Give life and sweetness to your church. That's our prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. And you can be seated. If you ask any handful of Christians, what's your favorite single book of the Bible? What do you expect most of them to say? You get Romans a lot, don't you? Many people would say Paul's letter to the Romans is their favorite book of the Bible. And maybe that's because Paul in the book of Romans, he spends 11 chapters giving one of the clearest, most beautiful, most powerful depictions of the gospel that you could ever imagine. Then chapters 12 to 16, Paul tells the Christians in Rome just how it is they're supposed to live in the light of the gospel. What is this gospel we're talking about, though? You need to know that if you're going to know where we're going. I'll put it in simple terms here. We have all, at one point or another, and in one way or another, battled against God. Right? We see it spelled out very clearly in Romans chapters 1, 2, and 3, how sinful we are inside and out. And God justly 
rightly could have punished us for our unwillingness to obey his commands. God could have destroyed us. God could have cast us into hell forever because of our rebellion. And there was not a single thing we could do to make up for our sin against God. We were lost. We were hopeless, helpless, dead in our sins. But God chose to do something that I think we would have to say is wonderful. God chose to rescue out of a sinful world a people for himself. And Jesus Christ, God's own son, came to earth as a man. Jesus lived the perfect human life that none of us ever could live. And Jesus chose to willingly die on a Roman cross, a death that God would accept as a perfect sacrifice for the sins of God's children. Jesus rose from the grave on the third day from his death, and in that he proved that his claims are true, and he shows us that everyone who's a child of God will live forever with God in Christ. So the gospel, the good news, is this. Rebellious humans are saved when they place their full trust in Jesus Christ and his finished work. The good news is that though we deserve the hatred of God, God gave us love. The good news is that though we deserve to be crushed for our sins, God crushed Jesus in our place. The good news is that though we deserve hell for our sins, Jesus fits us for heaven because all who repent of their sins and believe in Jesus Christ will spend eternity with Jesus in the presence of God Almighty for eternity in perfect joy and perfect peace. And I would submit to you that this is wonderful news and a wonderful gospel. Now, most of this morning's message is focused on people who are already saved. But I don't want to miss this opportunity to call all of you here to the Savior. If you've never cried out to Jesus and trusted Jesus for your salvation, you need to be saved. Jesus Christ will save you if you'll trust in him completely. Now, there's nothing you can do personally by yourself to rescue yourself from the wrath of God. But if you'll trust in Jesus, turning from your sins, God will forgive you of your sins and make you into his child. So I invite you, even now, turn from your sin, believe in Jesus, be saved. Now, this morning, though, our plan is to learn from Paul's first words to the Romans after his depiction of the gospel. Here in the first verses of Romans chapter 12, Paul's going to show us how our lives are to be changed because of the gospel. Specifically, we're going to see how we are to be changed in relationship to the church because of the salvation we have in Jesus. So let's look at this passage. We're going to find three points about living life 
in the body of Christ. Three points about living life in the body of Christ. So, point number one, if you're one who writes these things down, change everything because of the gospel. Our first point, change everything because of the gospel. Verses one and two. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. All right. Because you're so quiet, I need you to work with me a little bit. I want you to imagine, just for a moment, that you have won or been given a gift of $100 million. And I want to ask you a question. Would your life change? Three of you would have different lives if $100 million dropped into your bank account. The rest of you goobers would continue to struggle exactly the same way all life long. Is that what you're telling me? How many of you would change? Yeah. How would we change, right? I mean, now, by the way, we shouldn't think about this for too long or it's going to be bad for your soul. But, but let me just think about it. If you were given that, would you give more? Would you be a better giver? I hope so. Would you, would you travel? Maybe. How many of you think you would worry less if that was in your bank account? Would you, how many of you would drive a different vehicle? Yeah, I've heard a couple nopes. I I promise you my family would. Our poor minivan is on its last legs and they're not supposed to have legs. Would you, would you live somewhere else? No, don't go live somewhere else. That's wrong. You can have a different house in Vegas. That's all you're allowed to do. But, One thing is, I believe, certain. Your life, my life, would be different. Of course it would. Nobody would have everything be exactly the same in your life if that significant of a gift came to you. In fact, to receive something that gigantic and then to live as though you had not, I don't even think it'd be appropriate. Do you? In Romans 12, Paul appeals to the people in the light of one major thing. It's in the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul says as he opens this passage, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Now, we know the mercies of God if we know the gospel. How many of you have experienced the mercies of God? Yeah. God had mercy on us when he chose not to squash us the moment of our first sin. How old would you have lived to be if God had squashed you the first time you sinned? Don't answer that, right? God had mercy on us when he gave us salvation as a a gift by grace through faith in Christ. God, God had mercy on us when he made salvation be about what Jesus has done instead of about what you can do. Now stop and think about the mercy God has shown you. Look at your life. Just a minute. I want you to pick out in your own life, not in that of your spouse, in your own life, one imperfection. Do any of you have any imperfections? 
And I don't want you to think of a physical imperfection here. I want you to think about of a, a failure in your life, a shortcoming, a place you know you regularly or you have in the past, you, you fall short. Doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be earth shattering. Doesn't have to be something that the whole room would gasp if they knew about. Maybe it is. Maybe it's a time you've been short tempered. Maybe it's a time that you fudged the results. Maybe it's a time you were unloving. Maybe it's a time that you showed your attitude by making sure that you complained as fast as you could about something you thought might be wrong. Anytime you chose your way instead of God's way will work here. What we need to see is I want you to take that imperfection, hold on to it, and I want you to put it up against God. Romans 3.23 reads, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Falling short of God's glory, of God's perfection, is what sin is. Not living up to the perfect standard of God is sin. Now, you've got that failure of yours, that imperfection of yours. It may be something you think is big. It may be something you think is small. But I don't want you to consider your failure in the light of how good you think you are. Don't say, my failure doesn't matter because look how strong I am. Neither do I want you to consider your failure in comparison to the goodness or weakness of the people around you. Doesn't matter. Set your failure side by side in comparison to the perfection of Almighty God. Psalm 145 3 reads, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Revelation 4 8 says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. God's greatness is unsearchable, friends. That means there's no end to it. You can't get to the bottom of it. God's holiness, which includes his utter perfection, is immeasurable. God's perfection is infinite. It does not end. And here is the painful but helpful thought we need to start with. My failure, your failure, big, small, doesn't matter. It is a full infinity Short of God's perfection. We have fallen short of the glory of God. How far short of the glory of God have we fallen? Forever short of the goodness of God. Immeasurably short of the goodness of God. That is a gap that you and I could never work hard enough to bridge. And if our failure is a crime against God, we could never be punished long enough or hard enough to finish doing justice. That God would do what is necessary to forgive us our sins, that's mercy. If God would grant us the righteousness of Jesus so we could enter God's presence and be welcomed into God's family, that is glorious grace. And for those mercies, we should be overwhelmingly, life-changingly grateful. 
and because of the continuing promise of God that there are still more mercies to come to us from God, we should be changed forever. Now here in Romans 12, in the light of the good news of Jesus, Paul's about to call on the people of God to change. And similarly, because of the good news of Jesus Christ, God calls you and me to change here this morning. See, what's come to you and me in the gospel is far greater than a financial fortune. The gospel's worth more than a $100 million prize. And so the question arises logically, has your life changed? Examine yourself. Are your actions, are your commitments, is your speech, are your thoughts markedly different because of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because God says they ought to be. In fact, God says they have to be. In the light of the glory of the gospel, God calls us to lay down our bodies as living sacrifices to God. You all know about sacrifices in the Old Testament. A sacrifice was an animal that would die. Its body would oftentimes be burnt up as a sacrifice to God. The animal that was given as a sacrifice could hold nothing back. Every bit of the life of the animal was taken. In the light of the gospel, you, Christian, me, we are to be living sacrifices. We're allowed to keep breathing, but our lives are to be fully taken with the things of God. Your body, your mind, your actions, your everything is to be changed because you have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. How do we live as sacrifices to God? Your mind has to be changed. Your actions have to be changed. As the kids in Sunday school learned, you got to repent. You got to think differently. You got to feel sad when you know something's wrong. You've got you've to stop doing what's wrong and start doing what's right. Paul says here we are no longer to be conformed to the pattern of the world. Instead, we are to think differently. We are to test our thoughts and our actions in the light of the commands of God. We, we do things that are for the purpose of pleasing God. We speak things for the purpose of pleasing God. We avoid things in order to better please God. And this change, friends, is supposed to be deep. All of your life, every part of your life is to belong to the person of Jesus. All of your life. Every part is to be lived for the sake of showing the world around you how great God is. That's who we are. That's who we're supposed to be. Now, we could go deeper into this passage, but I think the point is simple. And really, we're after a simple point this morning. 
think about yourself. Think about how you think. Think about what you did this last week. Did anything in your life this last week look like a living sacrifice to God? Is there part of your life this last week, is there some in your life this last week that you could say was lived for the sake of Jesus this week? And I know it's a broad category, right? Lots you could think through here. I just want to ask you here simply, ask God, Lord, did I do anything this week that showed you as glorious? Did anything I said honor you? Did anything that I did make you look good? Did I show the world that the gospel is wonderful? And maybe you need to ask God if your words and your attitudes and your actions this week dishonored him. I can think of places where mine did. Folks, the simple point is, because of the extreme glory, worth, goodness of the gospel, because of the extremely wonderful promise of heaven, all of your life should be different. Your mind and your actions should be devoted to God. Is your life showing that devotion? Are you actually different than you would be if you weren't saved? Because we're supposed to be. Now, how many categories could we go into here? We could talk about anything, couldn't we? Because you can do anything to the glory of God. You can do your job. You can go on vacation to the glory of God. We could look so many, so many things to say, this is how my life changes because of the gospel. But I want to follow the line of thinking that Paul has here and show you one area where your life should change because of the gift of God in Jesus Christ. That takes us to point number two. Humbly see yourself as part of the body, not as a separate individual. Yes, it's a long point, but you can do it. Humbly see yourself as part of the body, not as a separate individual. Verses 3 through 5. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. It's no surprise to say that part of living to honor God should involve you being humble, right? Whenever somebody thinks of himself or herself too highly, that person magnifies the individual and not the God of the individual. If we're not humble, we try to make ourselves look big and make God look small. Well, verse 3 calls you to humility, thinking not too highly of ourselves. But then verses 4 and 5 show us a way that we might have right godly humility. We are to be humble as we think of ourselves in relationship with the church. 
And the image Paul draws for us is the church as a body. The church as a unit. You, you know, don't you, that no part of a body can pretend it's of great and high importance and the rest of the body is not worth anything, right? I mean, be honest about it. How many of you are happy having a heart right now? That's important, right? But let me ask you, even though you like your heart, you're happy that you have one. Maybe it doesn't work as well as it should, but you're glad you got one. How many of you would be happy to go ahead and give up your ears or your eyes or your kidneys? Anybody? No. I don't think you would. The church is supposed to function like a body. Listen to me. We need every part of of the body to function well. Don't you think, isn't that true in your body? How many of you would say all of your parts are functioning like they should right now? How many have parts that you would like to be have repaired? <laughs> or replaced? <laughs> Renewed? Listen, this is in the church. Every last one of us who knows Jesus has a role to play in the building up of a church that honors Christ. And if any of us thinks too highly of ourselves, assuming that we're worth more than other parts of the body, we harm the church. And if any of us thinks that we don't need to be part of the life of the church, we do harm to the body. The only right way for you and me to function is for us to be humble enough to see ourselves as organs in the body, each one needing each of the rest for the life of the body to be right. Now, let me ask you, I just said that. How many of you know all that stuff already? You know this already, right? But do we really? Do you, let me ask this, you, me, just the two of us here. Don't worry about the rest of the room. Do you believe the word of God here? And do you function like you're interconnected with the others in the church? I'll give you a couple categories, okay? Let's take church attendance. That's an easy one, right? Would you guys agree that church folks are supposed to go to church? Even Southerners know that, right? That's how we do it. Y'all supposed to go. So the question is, do you attend our worship services as if you are an organ in the body? Do you make sure to make it to church because you know you need to be with the people of God? Do you recognize that the other people of God need you with them too? Is it easy for you to decide that something has given you an excuse not to make it for Sunday morning worship. Are you humble here? Or do you think that you are somehow bigger than the body and don't need to show up? Let's do another. Giving. By the way, pastors hate talking about giving. But I'll just ask, are you contributing to the growth of the body financially? As a local church, we want to see the ministry of Christ fulfilled, don't we? But we can't do that if our members aren't freely offering to the glory of God. I, again, I mentioned being Southern. I grew up in some Southern churches. I used to hear stories of church members who would give when they liked the pastor, 
But if they got cranky with the pastor, they would not give or they would only give to certain things. Does that sound like humble body life, by the way? No. Those who don't give don't honor God. Neither do those who don't give actually tend to get their way, by the way. It doesn't work that way either. All that refusing to give as God has commanded us to give does is dishonors God and makes it more difficult for the church to grow as it should. But when we all give as we ought, the Lord will bless the church. And you find that the church doesn't worry about finances because everybody is freely and cheerfully contributing to the growth. Let's talk about how we talk. Here's one I've had to pray about and repent of in my life. Does the way that you talk regarding the church show that you're a humble part of the body? Do we speak of others in the body as if they are as important as we are? Do you speak of others in the body as if you need them? Or do you speak of others in the body as if they're not at all like you, they're not connected to you, they're not important like you? Ministry itself. Are you serving in the body as if you're a functioning organ in the body? What have you done this last week to aim at the building up of other people in your local church? What have you done to help the church grow? Here's a great one. Are you somebody who says, somebody needs to, or are you one who says, how can I help? By the way, which do you think is more helpful? I got plenty of somebody needs tos. I promise you that gift has already been filled in every church across the land. We need, how can I help? We, or if you have a somebody needs to, it should be followed up with, and here's what I'm going to do to help. Membership. Have you gone through the formal process of joining the church? Church membership is a thing we believe to be present in Scripture and important to the life of the individuals in the church. When you join the church, when you go through the formal process, you declare that you are somebody we can count on. That's part of what membership is, is you saying, I'm here, I'm with you, elders, leaders, count on me. Not joining the church is you saying, not me. That's part of it. And when you join the church, you declare that you're asking the church to watch out for you. I want you guys to care for me. I want you to help me grow. When you join the church, you're saying, I will do my part in the body, and I'm willing to be under the shepherding of the elders. So I ask you, have you taken your commitment to the church seriously enough to formally unite with our church body? You need to if this is the church home for you. This is, a, this is the spot where I will again remind you, we're doing a membership class, an intro to membership class on the 18th of July. It's a good time to point that out, isn't it? Because we want to make it easy for you to, to, to connect with our church, to know, is this your church home? Now, by the way, if this isn't your church home, if you're here and you check us out and you're around for a while and you're like, you know, I just really don't feel like I should be committed there, I understand that. You might come here and think, I, the church is great, but I don't like the pastor. I feel that way too. 
But you know what? If that's, if that's where you are, come talk to me and let me help you with the other elders. However, let us help you find a place where you do connect. Maybe it's not here. That's okay. The Lord builds his body on purpose, doesn't he? And he moves us from time to time. But you need to not flutter around between this church and that church. You've got you to settle in and join and take part. That's being a part of the body. Does that make sense? I'm not trying to send anybody away, by the way. I still like you guys. But you get the point, right? Church, we will do well to recognize the significance of the word of God here. God wants us to live together and to love each other as a unit, as a growing, healthy body. God doesn't want us to fight with each other. He doesn't want us to devour each other. Neither does God want us to ignore each other. God wants you to be a regular, active part of the church's life and ministry. And if you don't make it a priority, you hurt the body and you hurt yourself. If you don't make the body of Christ a priority, you rob yourself of the joy of doing the very thing God has called you to do in the light of the glory of the gospel. And the sad truth is, Many of us have lived for far too long as if we are individuals. We, we think of our time as our own. Don't you think of your time as your time? We think of our money as our own. We think of our families as our own. We think of our homes as our own. But what does the Bible tell you about your life? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. You've been made part of the body of Christ. You are not to be just an individual. You are a part of the whole. Humbly see yourself as part of the body, not as a separate individual. Last point, third point, eagerly serve the body with the gifts God has given you. Eagerly serve the body with the gifts God has given you. Verses six through eight. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. All right, one more question. Have you ever noticed, and maybe you haven't, have you ever noticed that you are not all exactly alike. Look around. What do you think? Are there different people here? Some are very different. Now that might shock you. I get it, but, but it's okay. We're not the same. God is, I think we would all agree with this, God is a fairly creative artist, wouldn't you think? We're all different shapes, we're all different sizes, we're all different hues. And God has given all of us different skills and different abilities that, 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 that don't really, may not be that everybody has. When God saved your soul, God also did something wonderful with you that you might not have thought about in a little while. God, when he saved you, also gave you a gift. Something about the way God made you. And the Holy Spirit that God gave you at your salvation has endowed you with a gift from God. 
I'm not saying that gift may not change over the life of your life in ministry, but God gives us all spiritual gifts. You've been given a special ability by God to serve God in a way that not everybody can. You have a spiritual gift. Now, there are lots of books out there that have been written on how go, one goes about discovering his or her spiritual gift. And you'll see Romans 12, you'll see 1 Corinthians 12 used, and they make these big, long inventory lists of spiritual gifts. How many of you all have ever seen or done a spiritual gift inventory before? Those are fun, aren't they? You get little tests sometimes, right, to see what your gift is. You know what I think the problem is? Is that I don't think passages like this are intended by God to be exhaustive lists of all the different ways one might be gifted. I don't think Paul wrote this letter with a gift test chart in mind. Paul is making a very simple point in this section, and he uses some categories of gifts as examples. But the point is easy. God has given you a gift you are to use it in the church. Notice, by the way, I said in the church and not in some parachurch out there somewhere else ministry. You can, you can minister other places too, but God gifted you for life in the local church. Verse 6 says, we've all got different gifts. Then we get a command from God. Listen to this. This is a big one. God says, let us use them. After Paul calls you to use your gift, he then describes seven kinds of gifts. Maybe you've been gifted with the gift of prophecy, which I would say here is the gift to proclaim with clarity and insight the word of God. Maybe you're gifted in serving others. Maybe you're a good person to meet people's needs. Maybe you've been gifted to teach or encourage others. Maybe you've been gifted to be a good organizer and leader of activities. Maybe you're gifted to give more financially than others can because of how God has shaped your life and your skills. Maybe God has given you a heart of mercy that is unique among the body. Maybe God has gifted you in some other way. Maybe, maybe you're the kind of person that just loves organizing databases. God bless you if you are. In fact, come talk to me if you are. There's no doubt about these two truths, though. First, if you're a Christian, God has given you a spiritual gift. Secondly, if you're a Christian, God intends you to use your spiritual gift in the local church. You've got a gift. God wants you to use it in the body. Now, here's stop and think. Some of y'all have been a part of the church for years. Some of y'all are brand new. Here's the question, though. What can you do to use the way God has gifted you in the local body? Because God wants you to serve in the local body with your gift, not just come and watch other people do all the work and all the serving and all the leading. Eventually, Christians who are not serving will sit in churches with a sour look on their face and a complaint on their lips. Have you ever noticed, by the way, that the less you serve, the more you want to complain? Think about it. I mean, even when you, when you go to a restaurant versus going to somebody's house, where are you more apt to complain about the food? Where somebody worked or where you don't see the people work? 
I would hope you don't go to somebody's house and go, this just isn't quite what I'd like it to be. (laughs) Pray that God will help you uniquely find out how he's gifted you and pray that God will give you the opportunity to use your gifting for the good and growth of others in the body. But you might say, I, I, don't, I don't know how to find out what my spiritual gift is. I'm going to tell you this. This is a secret, just you and me. We're not going to tell all those churches out there. This is just for us. The way to find out how you're gifted is not by taking a test. If you want to take one, that's fine. I don't care. But that's not the way. The way for you to discover your spiritual gift is for you to serve. Actually try to help. Try to help in a way where you believe you've got some skill. Instead of saying that, oh, somebody ought to do something to help over there, you volunteer and say, I'll help. And you're going to find out when you try to serve that there are some ways in which you serve very well and there's, there's ways that, that you don't. You're going to find some ways that when you serve, it lights you up. You're like, I like doing this. I love doing this. And other people, when I do it, say that it makes a good positive difference. If you want to find your spiritual gift, serve the Lord in the body and you will find your gift. But if you don't serve, if you don't try to help others, if you don't try to make the church stronger, you'll sin against God and you will fail to uncover the gift God's given you. And that's why I say eagerly serve the body with the gifts God has given you. Where do we need people to join us in serving? Trust me, folks, we need you everywhere. We need people who are willing to work through the process of learning how to understand, interpret, and preach God's word. We need women willing to teach the word of God to other women. We need people to help us be better at praying. We need people to help us just by serving. We need people who are willing to offer a pair of hands and a non-injured back to help us carry things into the building and back out. We need soft-hearted, caring people who will reach out in love to members who are hurting. People who are just stuck at home. Maybe they just need somebody to give them a phone call or write them a note or take them dinner. We need people like that. We need people to passionately share the gospel and help other people in the body to share the gospel too. We need people that are saying, hey, let's go witness to somebody. Or someone's like, I got a friend who I wish knew Jesus. I'll come with you and talk to you with them about it. We need those people. We need people willing to just be a part of serving in the nursery. We need people who are willing to help because we're just now starting children's Sunday school. We need, we need people who will open their homes to others for fellowship because we can't meet here all during the week. We need you to open your house and invite people over. We need you to use your gifts in the body for the glory of God. And if you're looking for a place to serve, come talk to me. Come talk to one of the elders. Talk to one of the deacons. We'll do everything we can to help you find a way to, 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 to serve. We'll pray with you. We'll get to know you. 
Now listen, there's going to be jobs in the church that are for members only, right? If you want to be a worship leader, if you've got musical skill, I love it. But eventually you're going to have to be a church member to be leading the church in worship. If you want to work in the nursery or work in children's church or in, in children's Sunday school, you're going to need to have a background check done so we can protect our children. That's what we do for everybody. But y'all, most jobs in the church just need somebody like you to come up and say, hey, I'd like to help. We'll do our best to find a way to plug you in. Now, are we organized enough to do that? Nope. If you don't like organized religion, this is the place. We don't have it. (laughs) But this church, friends, is part of the body of Jesus Christ. And if you're part of the church, you're part of the body of Jesus Christ. And God wants you to serve in the body of Christ as a humble, Christ-changed part of the body. And why does God say you should serve? He says you should serve in the light of the gospel. So if you love the gospel, you will serve laying down your life as a living sacrifice for the glory of the Savior. So friends, you'd agree with me, the gospel is glorious, right? We love the gospel. I want to remind you, if you heard the message of saving grace in Jesus today and you've never yet responded to it, you need to respond to it. If you've never come to Jesus for salvation, I urge you, don't wait. In your heart, cry out to Jesus, Lord Jesus, I believe in you, please save me. Turn away from your sin, put your trust in Jesus and he will save your soul from the judgment you deserve. And if you need help to know about that, come talk to me after service, I'll help you, okay? Now, if you're a Christian, change everything because of the gospel. Today, remember, in the light of the mercies of God, your life has to be different. Yield yourself to God. Lay your life down before your Lord as a living sacrifice. Don't be shaped by the thinking of the culture around you, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind in the word of Almighty God. Humbly see yourself as part of the body, not just as an individual. Christian, take your commitment to the local church very seriously because God has been clear that part of living in the light of the mercy of Jesus is you playing your role in the local body. Let go of this modern culture of individualism. Make your participation in the church a vital and essential part of who you are. Ask the Lord to show you how. Let me say this. Sunday should be the most important day of your week. Sunday morning should be the most important time of your week because this is when we gather to worship the Almighty God and eagerly serve the body with the gifts God has given you. You are the only you we have in this body. And God put you here to make PRC a better place. How will you do so? Pray Ask the Lord to help you find out how he's gifted you. Ask other believers around you to help you know what you might be gifted to do. Talk to me. Talk to the leaders. Find a way to serve. If you were given a gift of $100 million, your life would change. You've been given by Christ a gift of infinite worth. Let your life change forever. Let's pray together, friends. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the life you give us in Christ. I thank you for the mercies that we know in the gospel. And Lord, as we 
sit here. I pray that you will make yourself most important to us. And I pray that you'll give us a proper commitment to change lives and body life through the Savior. Bless us now, God. Teach us and grow us. Build your church. We pray it in Jesus' holy name. Amen.